Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. I'm here with my man, Ryan Hill. Ryan, Arizona legend. Yes, sir. That's right. Good to be here. You don't get to talk to a lot of guys from AZ, you know what I mean? I dig it, man. I dig that we got some roots together. Yeah, right? We're a rare breed, born and raised. And we've traveled some same roads. Oh, absolutely. So, Ryan, I just want to, number one, I want to get this out here to my listeners that Ryan Hell just hit two years and what, two days now or one day? Two days, yeah, on the 21st, celebrated two years. Man, you're hearing that applause in the background. Whoop, yeah, dude. Thank you. And you're clean off heroin and cocaine and methamphetamines. Yep. Dude, I'm going to tell you, Ryan, you are a legend, bro, because there's not a lot of us out there that's still doing what you're doing, right? I mean, think about it. It's crazy. There's so many of us dying, and there's very few of us that do recover. I'm so, so grateful. I feel so blessed. Yeah, I saw these shirts last week, man. They were selling us as we do recover. I was like, that's a dope shirt. I want one of those. That is awesome. Yeah, I got to get me one. I know a lot about you, Ryan. We have some similar friends. Actually, a couple of my buddies said, hey, do you know this guy, Ryan Hell? His story is epic. His story needs to be told. So that's why we're here tonight, man. I want to hear your story. I want to share your story. I want, I want people to understand that... Uh, no matter where we're at in life, at the bottom of the barrel or the top, addiction, number one, does not discriminate. And number two, it can kick our ass pretty bad. Yeah, it'll take you to your knees for sure. So if you don't mind, man, let's just start kind of, uh, give me a background on how it started. I know you were a, a super phenomenal athlete at Mesa High School. Yes. So that's kind of cool to know, but just kind of give us like, so people listening can understand how addiction for you at least started. I grew up, like you said, in, in Mesa, I grew up in an LDS family. And so I grew up in a very good family and, and drugs and alcohol weren't a part of my life as I grew up. Sports was a huge part of my life. It's what I did really, like sports was my life. I never experimented with drugs and alcohol in high school. But I, uh, my senior year, I decided to play football. And so I play football. I tie an interception record that was like 85 years old. I'm on top of the world. My dad buys me a Kawasaki ZX 636 Ninja. And I, I mean, I'm loving life. That was my dream growing up. I always said when I was 15 years, 15 years and seven months old, I wanted a motorcycle because that's when you could get one. So I get it. I'm playing football. Dream come true. Doing great. First week of the playoffs, it's Tuesday. I'm going home for lunch, pull up to a red light at Gilbert and Southern, and a 350Z pulls up next to me, starts revving his engine. And I look over at him and, and smile at him, and then he starts to go. So I look forward, and he had started to go, and the car to my left had started to go also. So I take off, and I look down, and then a big bang happens. And I'm picking myself up off the pavement, uh, get to the sidewalk, and look around and people rush up to me and tell me to lay down. And I'm like, what happened? They're like, you just got hit by a dump truck. I'm like, what? And I look over my bikes and pieces in the intersection, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but my life as I knew it was in pieces there in the intersection. So I I'm rushed to the hospital. My kneecap was cracked, so I couldn't play football. I'm depressed, can't really walk. I'm on crutches. 
three weeks later, a weekend comes and a buddy invites me to go to a dance party. And I had no desire to go. I was super depressed, couldn't really walk. And he says, did you get painkillers? And I was like, I think so, but I haven't taken them. And he's like, go get them. So I go get them. He's like, here, take these three painkillers. I think there were five 325 oxycodones or something. And so I took those three pills and we went to the dance party. And it was one of the funnest nights of my life. I had so much fun. I was so talkative. I could talk to the girls like I usually couldn't. I, all, all my pain, all my worries, all the depression was gone. And I'm feeling so great. And I remember running into my friend and I, I see him and I'm like, dude, I'm like, you were so right. Like, this is awesome. Like, thank you. And he's like, yeah, man, you're high right now. I'm like, like what? Like, I'm high? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, like, dang, I didn't realize, like, whoa. And then I was like, wait, so is this like what smoking weed's like or like getting drunk? And he's like, yeah, kind of. I always thought that when I got drunk or when I got high, it was going to be like an out-of-body experience and I wouldn't be able to control myself. And so once I understood that I could, you know, and that it wasn't going to be like that, then, you know, the next weekend, like, it was like two weeks later, I experimented with alcohol. Then I started smoking weed. Ooh, it just went downhill. Yeah, that's where the cycle started. Let me back up, man. Number one, everybody that's listening saying, what kind of father buys their dad, their kid a ninja? I'm saying that's a rock star father, man. What a cool dude, man. For reals. And what's cool is you must have been living right. You know what I'm saying? For him to trust you enough to give you the keys to that. I mean, my son has ridden my Harley, and it was like the highlight of his life. I have a kin spirit with your dad, dude. I love that aspect that he's completely willing to do that. But the accident? So you weren't an addict before this. And what's interesting is in addiction recovery, a lot of people think, Childhood trauma, right? Which you probably didn't experience much. Experience. Great family. You were raised pretty, I mean, in a nut, you were praised, raised pretty close to the cuff, I would say, with your parents. And crazy enough, an accident completely switched everything in your life. And the crazy thing is, you say that, and because of that, I stayed in my addiction that much longer. Because when I did enter the rooms and enter meetings, I heard the majority of people's stories. I was beat as a kid. I was raped as a kid. I had all this childhood trauma. And I was like, that's not me. I just used drugs because they were fun. Like I had a great time. It got rid of that depression that I was feeling or whatever. When did it switch for you, Ryan, from being fun to taking over a serious situation in your life? It took about, I'd say... It was about a year and a half, two years. It took, once I uh, graduated from, so I, I was smoking weed, drinking occasionally, and then taking tramadol a lot. Tramadol is like a low-grade painkiller, and my friends and I called them happies because they would just make us happy and in a good mood. And so I took them on the regular. And once I went down, I was selling pills a lot, and so I went down to Mexico to pick up pills, and I would take friends with me so that it didn't look suspicious that I was going down there and picking up thousands of pills. And I brought a friend one time that had a lot of Oxycontin. And I did the Oxycontin and got hooked onto Oxycontin slash uh, Perk 30 is like the pure Oxycodone. When I got those and the first time I tried to quit that, because right in that time when I became addicted is also when I had uh, the crazy incident happen where I was involved in uh, a shooting that was 
that's a transition, bro. Like that's a bump up. So what I want to make sure is, is you're talking to parents here. You're talking to people that may not completely understand addiction. What I want them to understand is it can happen to their child. Yeah, it didn't happen right away. It was absolutely a gradual thing, you know? You know, I, I enjoyed it and I had fun, I guess you could say, per se, for a while, you know, for six months a year. And how many high school kids, how many of your friends were doing this with you? Crazy enough, as you say that, my whole, I had like one little clique of friends and we had like half of our group uh, went one way and stayed good. And then there was a group of like three or four of us that all, went down the same path of graduating from pills to heroin. Even though at some times we weren't with each other, even geographically, we still all continued down the path and slowly fell to our demise, you know, to addiction. Some of us still in it. One of them's gotten clean, has recovery, and a couple others are still in addiction. Okay, so let's fast forward. About a year and a half into your addiction, this, or a year, this pretty serious incident happens. Tell us about it. I'm renting a room from a friend. Him and I at the time, I, I decided to rent this room from a buddy and he's selling weed at the time and he's selling about three to five pounds a week. And I was selling somas at the time. I had figured out that you could drive down to Mexico and I could pick up a thermos of a thousand somas for about 150 to 180 dollars for a thousand, and then I could come back here and sell them for a thousand dollars for a thousand dollar pill. And so I would almost monthly go down there. And so I'm selling pills out of this house that we're living in, and he's selling massive amounts of weed. And we weren't smart about it. You know, I had a really flashy truck, he had a flashy car, and then he would have people, and then I did too, had people coming in and out of the house and leaving it. Stapley and Southern, right there by the laser tag, whatever that is, laser tag play stratum. It was obvious what was going on. And um, I guess my friend, my roommate, he's my good friend. I guess he pissed off the wrong person and someone wanted to get us back or they knew what we were doing. And so they sent two guys from a South Phoenix gang to our house. And so it was a Tuesday night, I think. I'm hanging out with my buddy Laren and a couple Chance and Brittany and Chance and Brittany go to leave at about 11 o'clock at night and they open the front door. And when they open the front door, two guys with handguns dressed in all black push their way in. And I see them and I jump up and run to my room because I had kept a sawed off shotgun in my bedroom because three days prior to this, I had noticed that these guys wearing all red we're walking up and down our street, like stalking our house. And I was like, that looks suspicious. And so I told Laren, I was like, hey, let me borrow one of your guns. Let me have at least the shotgun. But it didn't have a safety on it. And so the first couple nights I had slept with it on my bed. And then I realized, wait, that's dumb. It's loaded. Like it could go off. I should probably put it on the ground. So I'd put it on the ground. But in the, in the moment I had forgotten. And so I run in my room and jump on my bed to the foot of my bed to grab my gun that I thought was underneath my blanket, but it wasn't there. And by the time I remembered that it was on the ground, the guy was in my room. He had shot at me too. He shot at Laren and I, missed both of us. And by the time I realized that he's in my room with the gun at my head, yelling me, get on effing ground, get on the ground right now. So I get on the ground, he looks around, he's like, open up that safe. Well, also I knew that they were stocking out the place. So I'd taken all my somas out of my safe and stuffed them into my fan, an oscillating fan. 
And then another little fan, I had stuffed like 5,000 somas into these fans and taken all my cash out and put it in my shoes. So all that's in the safe is a $5 bill and my ID when I open it. And the guy's pissed. He was just yelling at me, telling me he was going to shoot me with the gun at my head. And then finally, he was like, don't move, goes out of the room. They go in there tussling with my buddy, Laren. Eventually, they throw Laren into my room. And I was just laying on the ground, not moving. Like, there's no way I was going to move and try anything. And so I'm just laying there. They throw Laren in to the foot of my bed. And then they close the door where they threw Laren, where Laren landed was right on top of the shotgun. And so Laren like moves over and he picks up the shotgun because they've closed the door and gone out and they open, you hear the front door open and close. And so Laren's holding the shotgun. He's like, why didn't you use this? And I'm like, I forgot it was there, dude. And he's like, oh, he was like just holding it shaking, I remember. And so we had heard the front door open and close like for the guys leaving. And then we hear it open again. And we're like, no way. And then next thing you know, my bedroom door is opening and Laren shoots, hits the first guy in his face. He falls over dead. The other guy was coming around the corner. Laren shoots two more times, hits a guy in the arm. And that guy takes off running, drops his gun and runs. And I'm freaking out at this point. I'm like shaking. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Laren's like, I'm like, what are you doing? Laren's like, get out of here. I got it. So I jump over the dead dude, run to my truck, get in my truck, call the cops. We go and we're interrogated for the whole situation. And we tell them, I'm like, I have no idea who those guys were. Like, they just came in, shot at us, like robbed us. And we just defended ourselves. And so they, after like questioning us till like five in the morning, they let us go. The guy that was the accomplice that got hit in the arm, he um, ended up getting charged with second degree murder because if you go in to rob someone and your accomplice gets killed, you get charged with murder. And so he's doing 16 to 21 years for that, which is like terrible. And like, like I feel so bad for the guy, you know, because he was like 20 years old when he did it. And but yeah, it was such like a crazy thing to experience. And but the, the craziest part about it is to a normal person, yeah, they're going to go through something like that. You know, there's no more. That is enough to wake someone up. But it wasn't for me. I remember the next day, like, just going full-blown right back into the kind of thought about it. I was like, I should probably, like, just get rid of all the pills and stop doing this life and just be done with it. Wow. I know people are paying attention right here. What's crazy is there was a guy that died, right? I mean... Let's be real. He made a mistake too, but all over pills. Money, really, yeah. Or yeah, money, pills, and marijuana. Yeah. Wow. And so the trial happened, all of that. So when was this? How long ago was this incident? This was in 2010. Okay. And so in 2019, you got sober? Yeah. So you ran another nine years. What happened? After that, I did, I did a geographical. I moved to Texas. I figured it was Arizona that was the problem. Moved to Texas for a while, and I did all right there, but eventually I moved back home and fell back into the addiction. Eventually, the family knew that like, I was a full-blown addict after all this stuff has happened, and they did a, uh, an intervention with me. I agreed to go to rehab, and so I went to my, my first rehab, and uh, unfortunately for me, it was a co-ed rehab. And there was a very, very beautiful blonde there. And so, you know, like I learned a lot in it, but didn't learn enough. I had moved after the rehab. I lived in St. George 
And thus started the cycle of Ryan going from, I mean, I went to St. George, came home, became homeless, went to rehab at the Salvation Army for six months, get out, do good for a month, homeless for a while, go back to rehab, get out of rehab, do good for a few months, relapse, homeless, go back to rehab. Like it was just a vicious cycle of addiction, rehab, trying recovery. Like, like, and it just was over and over and over. How many rehabs did you go to, Ryan? I did 15 inpatient stints in rehab, 15 times. I had found out that there was a, like a six-year period of my life where I had spent more time living in inpatient rehab than out of it. I hate to admit it, but at least like I didn't give up. I was always trying, you know, it was miserable. It was so rough. How did your family handle this, man? How did they go through the process with you? They were all hands on deck. They were gung-ho. Like they paid for me to go to rehab. They were there supporting me like anyone would. Over the years, they absolutely got worn down. And it got to the point where in like 2014, is it like 2014, I think they finally said, Ryan, we don't want to see or hear from you for a year. And because they were just sick of it. And that started one of my toughest stints of homelessness, where I think I was homeless for like seven months. I didn't shower for like two months. I remember not changing my socks for like two or three weeks. I didn't want to be alive. I was like, you know what? If my family doesn't want me, then what's life? Like, what am I doing here? Man, let me pivot for a second, if you don't mind. I actually loved your post last week that you, you shared. There was a picture of some homeless people and you say, hey, man, that was me, right? There was an identifier. I'm doing a, a little challenge called a, a take 10 challenge, which means take 10 minutes out of the day for everybody out there listening and go connect with this, with someone that's homeless, someone that's under in an active addiction, whether it's cell phone, in person, verbal, text them, you know? And what's crazy is 10 minutes a day is not a lot. And we're not asking for crazy, but how would you have reacted in your addiction if someone would have just walked up and said, hey, Ryan, you need a water? Can we sit and chat? Tell me about yourself. Like, how would you have reacted? Oh, it would have been huge. I craved so bad wanting someone to care about me because I really, like, truly felt like no one did. And to the point where I even questioned God. I hate to admit it, but I, I did. I was like, does God hate me? Like, why? Why can't I figure this out? Like, why is my life so miserable? Like, why do I keep on failing? So what did you do? Like, you kept failing, but what was that caveat? What was that turning point that helped you get sober? There was a number of things that happened in order to get me sober this last time. So my family was done with me yet again. You know, they had for the last, like, three years before I got clean, they had written me off, basically. Uh, they were done with me. And my mom had said, Ryan, I only want to hear from you. The only way I'll help you out is if you want to go to detox or to rehab. I had, and so it was like June or July, I was homeless, where I was living out of a car that wasn't mine. It was my ex-girlfriend's that she was letting me use. And, and so I, my brother asked me to fly up to Utah to help him epoxy his garage. So I went up there and was stayed with him for like a month. But while I was up there, my mom called me and she said, hey, Ryan, uh, Cassie, who's my niece, who's my sister's uh, youngest daughter, she said, hey, she had a paper for her senior paper. And I've lived, it was my sister Sherry's daughter. And I lived with Sherry 
my senior year and like when I was in my addiction and said, Sherry or Cassie wrote a paper for her senior paper for English. And it was basically a paper about me and how my addiction had affected her. And it hit me. It was crazy because I really, I didn't know that, like, I really didn't feel like anyone cared. And so to hear that my niece still loved me and like, she wanted the best for me. It was when I heard that, I knew for sure that it, like, that I was done. I flew back from Utah. I got high a few more times, like, when I got home. But when I did get high, it didn't work. Like, it's crazy to say when you're shooting IV intravenously using, like, heroin and methamphetamines or cocaine. But I swear to you, like, it didn't work the last couple of times. And I was like, I have heard people say that this happens. And I was like, this is my sign. Like, I need to be done because if I do any more, the amount that it's going to need to feel it, I'll kill myself. Like, I know I'm going to die. Like, I got to just give this recovery one more chance. And so I called Access to get approved for a rehab that was in Prescott. And a miracle happened to where my access got changed really quick. And the rehab happened to have an opening. So I called my mom. And she agreed to take me up to Prescott. So I went up to drop, drop the car off and just left everything behind. And my mom, she said, you have to leave everything behind, the ex-girlfriend, everything. I said, absolutely, I'm down. And went to rehab up in Prescott. Was there for two months. And in rehab, my mom had said that she was going to help me out if I went to rehab. But when I was in rehab, she sends me this letter and tells me that she's not going to help me out. Then I need to figure it out through the Lord. and. I was so upset, but it was the best thing that happened for me because it made me go to my knees and go to Heavenly Father in prayer. And I gained a relationship with God that was like I had never had before. I said meaningful prayers and I watched my prayers get answered. I watched miracles happen, like an old job that I'd worked for like two years before calling. Like I worked for them loaded and didn't treat them like that well. But I work hard still, but I was late and whatnot. But they called me and asked me to go work for them, like starting October 1st. And that's like right when I was going to be getting out of treatment. And then a housing thing, I call up this, house, this lady that has a place that she's renting out. And it just so happens to be my mom's childhood best friend. Like these miracles happen. And so I called my mom and told her, I was like, hey, I got a job and everything. Like it's actually going to work out. Like I'm going to be able to do it. Like I don't know how I'm going to get my self to work and stuff. But like, I know Heavenly Father is going to provide like something's going to happen because I have the faith. And then miracle after miracle happened. She did help me out a little bit. And uh, I also knew that Ryan's not good when he has a lot of money. So when I got out of treatment, I made sure that all my checks went straight to my mom. My checks are direct deposited in my mom's account. I told my brother, Ricky, hey, drug test me randomly all the time. And don't drug test me. Like, here's a cup going to the bathroom. Like, he stares at me like it's super awkward. But I've told them, hey, I'm really good at faking drug tests and cheating the system. I'll, I'll tape some fake piss to my leg. I will go to any and every length to cheat the system. And so I set every roadblock that I possibly could to make sure that I didn't fail this time. Man, that is so smart. I want to know about your relationship, if you don't mind, with God. Like, I know ultimately for me, that was my turning point. I want to know, what did you do to seek after him? How did he play a vital role in your recovery? I don't like talk about it that much, but 
The real thing is, like, without God, I wouldn't be here. My relationship with my Father in Heaven is, like, He's my best friend. I talk to Him all day, every day. Like, it's not like, like, I do get on my knees and I pray every morning and I pray every night and I talk to God. And He's real. He's my friend. He answers my prayers. I get some things that I want. I get lots of things that I don't want. Like, my prayers get answered sometimes. Sometimes they don't. They always get answered, but sometimes it's what I want, sometimes it's not. It's been absolutely vital. My role with God has been crucial. It's been everything. And I'm going to second that. You know, we talk in recovery about finding that higher power, and I can't push it enough. Maybe just because it worked that well for me and for you, but other people, when they do that, man, I see real healing. And and the thing is, is like, I say that, but I have no concept of what or who God is, you know, like, like, I'm not gonna, I can't explain it. But yeah, I just know that he's real. And that prayers are answered that you if you have faith, and that if you pray, and you believe, and you have that faith, and you do as much as you can, you do your part, that you will be blessed, and you'll be carried the rest of the way. I know it for a fact. There's no doubt in my mind. Man, that's powerful. So you got an open mic, Ryan. You got an opportunity to talk to these kids, these parents. What would your advice, what would your testimony, or what would your feelings be if you could land it on their hearts tonight? I would say, above all else, just be aware. Like, keep your eyes open. You know, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of uh, where you're at spiritually, mentally. I was the kid that looked at the people that even smoked a cigarette and thought they were the scum of the earth. I'm not going to lie to you. And so I believe that part of why I went through an addiction is because I was that cocky, arrogant, self-centered kid that thought that it was all Ryan that had done it, had done everything. And I came to realize that, no, you fool, you were just blessed with great genetics and an amazing family and six older brothers and yada, yada. And like, none of this is your doing. It's all by the grace of God that you're able to do all this. And so be a helping hand to those that are suffering. Like, look to, uh, to help those that are in need. Like, there are so many that are going through it. And if nothing else, just ask them how they're doing or what you can do for them. But also realize that, like, even that addiction, you know, you might not be an addict right now, but it, it can happen to anyone and everyone also. You know, it can happen to me. Like, I never thought that I was going to be an addict, Mr. Don't try drugs until I'm 18, basically, and was hardcore against them. And so it can happen to the best of us. And also, even if you're just occasionally like, oh, I'm good. Like, I only do pills like here and there. Like, before you know it, that switch is going to flip and you're going to like, before you know it, you're addicted. And it just comes up on you so quick. Be aware. Don't fall into the trap of it's just a pill. Like, it's prescribed, so it's okay. Like, no. Most of these pills are pills are counterfeit these days, and it's not just a pill. Like that pill will destroy your life. That pill will take everything from you. Let's end with this, man. I'm seeing this full circle story, this redemption story. You get hooked on opioids early on. I mean, not just opiates, but methamphetamines and heroin and marijuana. You get in a shooting. Your family disowns you. I know you have an amazing relationship with your father. I don't want to get you too emotional, but I want to know today, how's your relationship with all those people that you felt like they abandoned you? It truly is a miracle. 
I have a relationship with all my siblings. They've all forgiven me. The thing is, I'm, I'm able to, I can see it through their, their perspective now. I know what they did. I know that they didn't do anything to try and hurt me or they weren't disowning me. They just didn't know what to do. You know, we have the best relationship. My, so my brother lives in the house that we grew up in. He bought my parents' house and they have cameras throughout the house that are up because of me. And I just spent just a few weeks ago, I got done watching my brother's house for about a week. And him and I, we go to the gym every day after I get done with work. And when we were getting done with the gym, he's like, you know, crazy. He's like, I'm so proud of you, Ryan, because he's like, you know why? And I was like, why? He's like, because you know what? You just got done. Like, thank you for watching my house, by the way. He's like, but Tara and I were talking and saying how crazy it is that you're the one watching our house, the house that has cameras all over it because of you just a few years ago. And now you're back. And he told me how grateful he was to have me back. And it's just, it's beautiful to have, to have that relationship with my brother. It's, it means the world to me. Is it a crazy, if we could just look ahead and tell people, hey man, if you're in active addiction today, you can make it through it. You know, it's almost like that country song where you lose everything and then you got to get it all back. How many times did we... Yeah, I do it too many times. Oh man. My body has gone from 165 pounds to 200 pounds, probably 50 times in the last 10, 11 years. It's terrible. I can feel your, your spirit, man. I can feel your heart. I know it's going to come across to these listeners. I appreciate your vibe, man. Just your willingness to go out there and touch people's lives. I'm going to tell you, I want to work with you. I want to somehow join forces with you. I know, especially in our town, I was run over. My addiction started at Gilbert and Broadway. You know where I'm at, right? So that's where I was struck. And that's where my opioid addiction really kind of, that was the caveat. So I want to align with you. I want to invite all the people out there. Hey man, take 10 minutes, please. Take 10 minutes a day and reach out. We're human. Uh, we need you. We need you to touch our souls. We need you to, to give us what you got. Ryan, if someone wants to get a hold of you, man, someone, a family member's out there, their son, their daughter struggling with addiction, someone wants to hear you come speak to them, what is the best way to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me would probably be on Instagram. And my Instagram is RyanHale13. You didn't get rid of the 13, huh? You kept that. Yeah, 13's my lucky number, actually. Well, you're talking to a cop here. Letters, the numbers, numbers, a letter. 13 letter of the alphabet is an M, right? Come on, man. <laughs> totally honored, brother. Thank you for coming on the Chase to Vase podcast. I would invite everybody to go to www.fightlikedavid.com backslash, oh man, jumpstart for more information. And I'm going to put you information on this, Ryan, so they can get a hold of you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chase. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. So awesome. Love it. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.